0: I also tell my clients is the law is more general, it's not specific to you. It's got to fit everybody when they come in for a divorce.
1: Hi, I'm Beth Anderson-Philson and my law firm is Anderson Law PC. I am a family law attorney and we do probate, estate planning, and family law issues like divorce, custody, maintenance, child support. And the thing is We deal with all these people that have changes in life and whether it's by death or a breakup, um, families change form, but what I like to think about is you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. You're still a family and there's a lot of positives in your future regardless of how your family's changing form. So today, I'm really honored to have an attorney who works with me and he is not only an attorney, But he was formerly a clerk in family law in New Jersey, which I think gives him a license that he can talk freely about what a clerk's perspective is on family law. So today we're going to talk about a clerk's perspective on things that you need to know from behind the scenes, from behind the bench in family law, things you didn't really know or even know that you needed to know. So with me today is Brian Beebe and he's an excellent family law attorney and tell me a little bit about yourself, Brian.
0: All right everyone, my name is Brian Beebe. Uh, I actually hail from New Jersey. I started my legal career uh, as a clerkship in a uh, county called Burlington County. Um, it was a superior court and uh, it was a very high volume area. Um, constant in and out all day long. Um, you know, one of the biggest things about being a lawyer is almost like you're doing homework every day. And uh, as a clerk, you people don't realize it, but specifically law clerks, you write their orders. So I was doing somewhere between 12 to 14. Now granted, my judge was very generous. She definitely helped out. Uh, she, you know, it was a team effort, but uh, the things I saw in there, it, it gets contentious in there, especially in a high volume area
1: yeah for sure and um you might not know about me that i went to law school in upstate new york i practiced in manhattan for several years i lived in new jersey for a little bit my son lived in new jersey i'm not from there originally but i definitely spent a good amount of my law practice and my life on the east coast so maybe that's why i keep hiring (laughs) east coast people and um yeah he's doing a great job so let's get right into it with um things you need to know and the first one is I never know if I should call it frequent flyer or frequent filer but watch for that frequent flyer status that frequent Filer status, what's that about, Brian?
0: So we used to, it was either frequent filer, frequent flyer, or um, it's a little bit of a tongue twister there, or it would just be like a regular, like at a bar. Um, every single time someone would file, we would know the names. We would know uh, the judges would know, the court staff would know, everyone would know they were coming in. Sometimes the security personnel at the front desk would be like, "Hey, so and so's back," um, <laughs> and unlike in Colorado. Um, New Jersey, they had, you know, uh, order to show cause and that's very common there and people would use it all the time. And um, it's
1: like an emergency order because we had that in New York and we would say, oh, we'd file an order to show cause. And I was a commercial litigator in large part. And then your opposing counsel, they would just have to rush down to court. With no notice, is that how it was for you guys? Oh
0: yeah, these poor these poor attorneys would be on vacation sometimes, and they would if there oh was gosh. nobody else. They on their own firm. They were doing, they were doing the hearing, and you know judges will take you know not pity but they understand. So they're just like okay, let's let's try and set it for a hearing later, unless it's actually an emergency. Um, the biggest thing was is that if you could cont- you start losing merit. You continuously come in yeah. every single time.
1: credibility with the judge. They're like, here they come again. Yeah. And Is it, that and what you're talking about? Yeah, and it, yeah. it
0: kind of like stems from they don't want you constantly using the court as your family decision maker. I mean, it uses up a lot of resources. A lot of times any judges get it, the courts get it that um, people make, you know, they say things to one another. They're mean to one another and you don't need to keep coming to court for that. You need to try and work it out yourselves and just continuously coming in, filing motions or filing orders to show causes or hear temporary orders, anything like that. Um, if it, it really the judge might look at you and go, oh my God, what is she doing here again? Like, why are we doing this?
1: Well, and if they don't care about it for married couples, they probably don't care about it that much for divorced couples. So for example, no married couple's gonna go into court. Well, I want them to do ballet with this teacher, and Dad wants them to do um, tap dancing with this other teacher, and we want the judge to figure it out. They'd be like, get out of my courtroom. We're not here for that. But I swear, divorced couples will think that they can have the court fix all their fights. And it's supposed to be a court more of last resort, not first resort. Like, Come on, people, try to figure some of these things out respectfully, of course. And don't get me wrong, I know exactly what it's like when sometimes people cannot communicate. That's why they're getting a divorce. You're thinking, if I could just present a cogent argument to this person, and they would give me a respectful response, I would do it. But they've never done that my whole life. So now that we're divorced, they're not going to get back to me about anything. They're going to always make me have to squirm and worry. Okay, that's fine, but it doesn't change the fact that I don't know a single person who says, you know what, I'm going to go to law school and get my degree and then work my way up to judge because I just can't wait to figure out if kids could go skiing next weekend when it's the mom's weekend or if they should be able to go to their dad's wedding when it's the mom's weekend or if they should be able to go to a game with the mom when it's the dad's weekend. Try to figure it out because the wheels of justice are not going to screech to the halt over some of these issues. I guess that's kind of how I see it. I'm not being dismissive, but the judges have a lot to do and they really don't want to arbitrate these fights if they can push it off on another way and they don't know your family
0: yeah so they they don't they don't know your family but it's really funny because one of the top things people would fight over and it is the most ridiculous thing when i say it haircuts
1: oh yeah
0: haircuts yeah. is one of like the top things i used to see as a clerk it would always be worked into some type of motion or the count or the uh cross motion because in jersey it's that's motion, so cross motion.
1: funny because we did a podcast on blended families and I talked about haircuts yeah. that and piercings and yeah. it would be a lot of times They'd be at the other parents' house and then they'd come back with their hair chopped off or blue hair or yeah. what have you. No hair,
0: hair's the judges <laughs> look at it and they're like, Why are we here for hair? Piercing's a little different because it's they're gonna give a little more merit because you're <laughs> sitting there piercing the child's <laughs> yeah, ears it and it could back. be religious, it could be something like that. Yeah. So they give a little more merit to piercings. But haircuts, when I tell you like I would get like I at least get one or two a week where You're like, kidding me. Yeah, oh my we're gosh, hair we're oh haircuts like he's taking the kid to get haircuts without my knowledge and it was like one of the first things grows they couldn't stand. back,
1: people, but yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's hard. So um, yeah, you don't want to lose credibility by being that person that runs to court all the time. And then it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Then when you have a really legitimate issue that is a big deal... It kind of blends with all the other craziness.
0: Yeah I mean and then you run the risk if you keep you know they find that it's not married you're gonna run the risk of attorney's fees after a while cuz you're gonna keep making that attorney come back I mean it's almost like they're not even awarding the attorney's fees just for the other side they're awarding the attorney's fees because you made this attorney keep coming to court because you wanted to continually Uh, file. A lot of times it's a pro se who keeps filing as well and and they're just like we need to like do something or she's going to keep filing he's going to keep filing yeah, um, i have a specific person in mind who kept yeah, filing yeah we never so that's talk in my uh,
1: for our firm we never talk about a specific case everything's a composite when it comes to anderson law pc cuz i never want one of our clients to think, oh, she's talking about me.
0: Oh, I was thinking one from the court. I know. So he's
1: talking about back in the day when he was a clerk, for sure, someone who ran in all the time. And then I heard years before I ever met you, I heard a judge call them frequent flyers. So yeah. for sure, it happens. They're like regulars
0: at a bar. I've yeah. heard it all. Like that's what they, uh, that's hilarious. The ju- my ju- judge down the hall used to go, oh, he's one of the, the regulars at the bar there. And I yeah, was just like, The usual yeah. suspects. Exactly.
1: Well, I was so shocked one time. I had just kind of not practiced that much in divorce law in Colorado. And I told this judge, he's retired now. And I said, I settle most of my cases. And he said, I know you do. And I was, what? He knows I do. He knows me. And then I found out the judges gossip about us. They know the attorneys and they know the clients and they know the parties that come in all the time. I had no idea at that time that they gossip about us, just like we gossip about the judges a little bit. We have a no gossip policy about staff at our firm, but we definitely share stories about opposing counsel a little bit and judges just kind of are and apparently they do the same about us.
0: Yeah, so they they definitely do. Um, there's a few ways that they do it as well. So um, it would be if you were really a poor attorney, and that, it's unfortunate to say, but there were not great attorneys that went in. They would miss deadlines constantly. I'd be be motions for an extension of time consistently. Um, and it was like if something flew in like that they were like okay this has got to be so and so and judge would hit nailing on the head she knows like and I can oh I, my and, and it sticks with you too because I haven't been in Jersey since I don't know what my clerkship ended last summer a little bit before last summer so it ended then and I still know the people who just made a horrible impression because they can't stick the deadlines they don't they don't you know they cite wrong law, they're using forms that they are told not to use. Oh my gosh. Because Jersey you are not allowed to use the court forms, um, and that sticks there. On the flip side, um, judges know what attorney is going to make their life easier when they come into court.
1: That's good to know. And so another thing that I want to move on to is be nice to the clerks. What's that about?
0: Yeah, so um, judges always have their law clerks back. Um, if. If a you know attorney was mean or they did something like out of line, judges were very much like, "Do not be mean to my clerk," and um, most most attorneys got that really quickly. Um, when they would talk to me they were super nice and my judge goes you realize they're being super nice because you are literally the bridge between me and you because and then that's what you are as a law clerk i mean um there's constant times i delivered the orders things like that and it's and it's good because i used to go with per security personnel and give it uh to the people i have been backed into a corner and me i didn't issue the order so i get away with a lot without a lot of the steam um and they they really want you to to be to be nice to the clerk. You can really influence a judge's decision by being mean to the clerk. Um, they're going to... They could do any amount of measures that they see fit if you're going to start harassing the judges chambers.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then they run the courthouse in my opinion and I've heard judges say the same thing that the clerks run the courthouse and don't you mess with them. And as a business owner, I know don't you mess with my staff. I don't put up with that. If I hear someone's cursing at my staff and giving them a hard time i will be on them i will be oh no you don't don't you dare treat them that way so i just am aware that judges are exactly the same they're very protective of their staff and they certainly don't want to see someone trying to use their law degree and the power differential to kind of bully a clerk it's going to backfire it's going to blow up in your face and it's the same for people who don't have an attorney and are doing a lot on their own because I'm told 80% of the family law litigants in Colorado don't have an attorney, and so they're dealing directly with clerks and don't you mess with them.
0: Actually, that's uh, it's it's kind of similar in New Jersey. I think it's a little less don't have attorneys in Jersey, but um, for the most part, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of pro se's and. I don't think I've really ever had many attorneys be super rude. I have people who are just very stoic. They're just that's just their nature. Like they're never yeah. really rude. But um, there have been multiple pro se litigants that are outrageously mean. Like they're like at me on the phone, all caps. They're they're calling me names. They're uh, they're calling my judge names in the email. Now remember, my judge can see all this stuff. Um, she wants to know, too. So you, you tell exactly what's going on there. She's like, listen, they, they say that stuff. Let me know. Because she brings it up. She's like, you're not to be doing that to my court staff.
1: I have a question for you. Do they ever hear what we're talking about in the courtroom when the judge and the clerk aren't in the courtroom after they yes. How do they hear us?
0: That, I'm uh, so
1: paranoid about that.
0: So it might be back before Zoom. It might have been because there's hot mics in the room.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I want to take a can... break and mention hot mics. Yeah. What that means is when you're sitting at the table and you're in court, you have a microphone and the judge can hear everything you say, even a whisper and I don't want to call out any particular client, but I do want to say that do not be cursing into the mic. They will hear you and they will not like it. Do not say that, especially something about the judge. Under your breath, even cursing about them and putting them down, they hear it.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's funny with the mics, um, how many people cursed, usually not a judge, but most of the time, it was about opposing party, especially when it was something ridiculous. <laughs> and we've had some ridiculous cases. Yeah, And you'd hear them sit back and mumbling under their breath. And yeah. because of COVID, it made it a lot of online stuff. So I just sit behind and take care of a lot of the tech. Um, and I would run the video feed and stuff like that and I could hear everything was going in there and it would just like me and the secretary of course that we could hear it and we were just like I'm giggling in there because you can't help <laughs> it it is funny Um and but at the same time can't be doing that so judge has to address it and then she comes out she will laugh at it I mean it is it is funny but they you yeah know, they're you, you human like
1: that. us they're gonna laugh at yeah. something that's funny and you but there is there is sometimes.
0: a court, court procedure and that's another thing that judges with it kind of comes off of this is that like the the digital just kind of like eroded a little bit of how people want to act in court
1: Yes they and are so unprofessional now they it. think yeah. they can just roll in in their pajamas or something sitting in their bed doing court
0: yeah and I told you about the one guy he was uh he was he was in be- he was in his bed sleeping.
1: This is like the litigant.
0: Yeah, this is one of the litigants. The person who's
1: going to court the
0: party. Yeah, and he's sleeping in it. We had our secretary kick him (laughs) out. It was like a cartoon. He came back and he was gone. It was just the bed. (laughs) I mean, it was like they're coming in with no shirts. They're doing stuff like that. And judges actually hate that. If you dress up and it's still like people always used to. They call it like um, back when Mark Zuckerberg was going to court. They call it your apology suit. Um, it's oh. kind of like um, you know I want to be dressed up so I look more apologetic. But when I tell you being dressed up actually does make a good impression, it's the right move. They want they look sure, at somebody. For you're taking who
1: it seriously. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I saw people live going into court with pajama bottoms. Yeah. And I'm like, well, maybe they're a juror. Maybe they're just dropping something off. Nope. Coming right into court, they're appearing in court that day. They're wearing pajama bottoms and slippers and really disrespectful. Even if you get
0: a pair of black jeans if you ain't got dress pants and you put on a polo. They're gonna like it a lot more than if you have nothing else.
1: Or definitely don't have the F the police jeans jacket like I saw one guy wearing to court. I wouldn't recommend that for court attire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no. That's probably not the way to go. But yeah, you wanna be nice to the clerks. You wanna be respectful of the process. It's still a court of law. I even had a judge tell me, we were at a dinner and he said, now people just hand the judge their phone. This is live, obviously not on Zoom. They go, here's my evidence. And they just hand their phone to the judge. He's supposed to figure it out and make heads or tails. We have a government, it has an element of formality to it and treat it with respect. They are deciding your future who is gonna get your kids, what kind of parenting time, all your money, all the most important things in your life. And you wanna treat the whole process, including the clerks, with the highest
0: regard. And especially with the day of, in the day of Zoom, that camera is always rolling. I could log into it whenever I wanted to and I could see the courtroom.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't get my answer. So, okay, I did court, we're off the record, that means court's done, the judge leaves, the clerk leaves, I'm talking to my client. Can the judge hear it from chambers? I
0: yes. 100%. How do they hear it? So I would have I had two screens, and when I was running court, not that day, Zoom,
1: but I mean when you're in the live courtroom. So
0: when you're in the live courtroom, the Zooms still running. Mine was on here, and you would be in the courtroom. What by if yourself. there's no Zoom? If there's no Zoom, they can hear the hot mics usually. Holy cow! So it depends on it depends on the makeup of the courtroom. So
1: I wasn't paranoid. It's actually true they could hear us.
0: Yeah, they could probably hear you. Um, a lot feel, of times they're constantly they recording, eavesdrop, but.
1: Yeah, they're human like recording. us. Good to know, good to know. Yeah, you want to be really respectful. Now, we already talked about gossip about reputation, so I think we can move on from that topic because I think we covered it pretty well. Um, you said good reputation, bad reputation. Do you have anything you wanted to Oh, you did have something you wanted to add. The reputation of the attorney in terms of if there's a mistake made. Do you remember we talked about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so your reputation, um, especially when it goes to ethics and stuff uh, along that nature. It'll go a long way because that stuff follows you too, like an ethics committee too. Um, A lot of times other attorneys are on ethics committees and judges, they they talk about it. They're going to be friends with other attorneys. You know, they can't, it's got to be outside the circle because there's a little bit of conflict if you're too friendly with attorneys then. Um, But when when that reputation starts following you, um, if you make a mistake and you need to uh, you know, you need to amend the petition. It's getting really close to the deadline to amend it You didn't catch it in time when you don't usually make those mistakes the cut the judge is probably gonna cut you some slack um, Be like yeah, that's fine. That's okay. But when mr so-and-so five times a week is Making the mistake the same mistake over and over and I've seen it and he just doesn't catch it no matter what he does um, You're not gonna get that same that same courtesy.
1: Yeah, I would say from my perspective, which is obviously not from behind the bench, but if you make an error of law, nothing can really save you. But it's that gray area where the judge is wondering, was this on purpose? Is this person trying to pull a fast one? Is this person being a slime bag? And they know this attorney has always acted with impeccable, integrity they're always trying so hard to do the right thing when there's a little doubt was this on purpose and malicious and trying to pull a trick or was this just an inadvertent thing or an honest mistake it'll weigh in your favor that you've always been scrupulous you've always been a person of honor i think that's kind of how i would say it whereas if someone's always trying to pull one over on the judge they're kind of a slime bag they're just trying to get away with everything they can yeah the judge will see you coming they'll say this person has never been reputable and honest and i'm a you know I'm not as inclined to believe it was an honest mistake when they're always trying to get away with something every time they come in my courtroom. Is that kind of what you're saying?
0: Yeah well it also goes and it goes a little further than that my judge would sometimes have me if they think something was wrong they would wind, have me reach out to the lawyer and be like did you mean to do this?
1: Whoa I don't even I've we never had, had, had that, that ha- experience. We had that happen
0: actually not too long ago because that judge huh. didn't know us and they reached out to us saying hey you know this is due today, right? We were already on it, we were about to file it, but they reached out to us, and that was uh-huh. probably the judge's doing. Yeah. Um, And a lot of times, that a good favor like that, I mean, that's not out of the realm, it's just, you know, judge is curious, like, did you mean to do this? Yeah, they're like, trying they to move it? the case
1: along. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And I try to do everything impeccably because I'm here to tell you deadlines are deadlines, and um, not in my current practice, but in a former life, I'll never forget that I caught someone missing a deadline by one day and it really blew up in their face. And it was one day, but there's nothing you can do about it because it was a statute of limitations. There's nothing anyone can do. Which kind of brings me to the next thing, which is um, the credibility of the claims because there's only so much a judge can do. And by that I mean I have had clients say, I want to shoot for the fences and then we'll just get what we get. That might work in mediation or negotiations as long as it's reasonable. If it's just ridiculous, nobody's going to buy it. But in court, they're not looking at who's making the most extreme or outlandish argument. In fact, that will make you lose credibility with them. They're looking at who's being reasonable and there's only so much they can do. A judge can look at the facts and apply them to the law, but judges don't have freedom to just do whatever they want. So when it comes to credibility of claims, what's a clerk's perspective on that?
0: So credibility claims, actually, so uh, Colorado and New Jersey, it's uh, you know, they're, they're it's an equitable state, and they're they're trying to get what's fair. So if you start. You know, shooting for the most outlandish claims—it's almost always going to hurt you. Specifically in Jersey, I know that for sure, and I can't see it not hurting anywhere else. They—they don't want to see you trying to take somebody in our context somebody's kids all all, you know the entire house away giving the other person nothing they do not want to see that they want to see somebody more reasonable with a credible claim saying hey look this is what I want this is what happened and they want to make sure it's tailored now if it seems outlandish but you've got the evidence that's one thing but when you're just you know you're shooting for as high as you can go uh, for no other reason than that's what you want to do they they do not like that
1: yeah it just seems like you're a ridiculous person, you don't look reasonable at all. And then the judge is saying, I can't trust this person, they're saying ridiculous things. If I actually rule in their favor based on what they're saying, it's reversible error. It's going to go up on appeal and get reversed. Now it's very hard in family law to pay for and win an appeal but it can happen, so more likely it's not so much that the case will be appealed and reversed, but rather that judges are very smart, they know how to avoid a case being appealed and reversed so they're not gonna give you what you want.
0: That's that's actually, that's a good point. That is something they constantly are worried about. Every judge on the floor, one, the one thing they were worried about if you weren't reasonable was being overturned. It's kinda like, you know, uh, I used to wrestle. It's like you're wrestling records. You don't want that blemish on your record as long as you can, you know, keep it off. You wanna make the best decisions possible. So no judge wants to be overturned, you know, and they'll keep themselves away from that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now it's a court of equity so what that means is there's a court of law and law is what's written down in a law book or if a court rules then the other courts have to follow that it's called precedent or res judicata it just means that the courts are gonna follow what the courts did before usually unless they have a really good reason that's law or we all know about statutes laws that are passed but there's also equity and equity is about fairness And that gives the courts a little more discretion, for example, best interests of the child. Obviously, they have to use some discretion, what's best for each child, and there are a lot of factors they use, and that's equity. But it's not about, oh, the wife or the husband is a bad guy, the wife or the husband is a good guy. It's not about that. It's a no-fault state. They're not gonna say, oh, so-and-so had an affair, so they lose or this person was annoying or verbally abusive. So it may be a factor if it's extreme, but they're not gonna go give more property to someone for um, being the victim of a jerk. It's really a no-fault state. So fairness is more about best interests of the child and um, the monetary issues to make them fairly reasonable. I know that. Um, But what about the kids? putting them first how's that weigh in
0: that's that's funny that was my next thing was um, I was thinking about it when we came when I was heading over here um, if there's a divorce with kids make sure they are the top priority judges do not want to see that you care more about the money the um, the swing set outside, the dog, these are examples I've seen. Um, I had a woman who came in the court uh, and she started crying about the dog. They took the child away and gave it to dad for temporary for about three or four months while they figured it out, uh, unfazed completely. But once they winded up taking the dog away, she lost it. And then she thought she was getting the house taken away. Judges, my judge came in fuming angry that she was not that she did not care about the kid but she can't, she cared more about the dog and the and the house more than their child make it about the kids once the kids are once the parenting time is settled and the kids are taken care of and they're thought of then go into the money because there's way too many times where people are like ah eh, we're throwing the parenting time to the wind let's um We we've got a loose one. I want to know about the house now, and it drives judges insane because their first priority almost always. A lot of these judges are very nice. They think about the kids. Um, Some of them were very. They were absolute sweethearts, and they were just. They wanted to know what was happening with the kids and behind the scenes. If you you look like oh you care about money, you don't care the kids. It's a real strike against. uh, There you know you could end up having a lot less parenting time than you want.
1: Well, and I did a training with a magistrate, and he said that sometimes especially inexperienced family law attorneys they will spend so much time on the kids that they rush through the financials so for me and our clients we always do the kid issues first because that is or should be the most important issue for the parents and often they actually do agree on the kids I find that most parents are able to reach agreements for the kids which is wonderful and then save time to get through the other issues but for sure you want to Um, show that there's a focus and I believe the judges care more about the kids than actually the parents to a degree like they really want to make sure those children are okay because they're innocent they're not the ones getting the divorce they don't have the same voice in the courtroom that the parents have and a little pointer for me is never say my child it's our child I've seen judges yell at parents for saying my kid and they're like I think it's Our kid not just yours so some judges are really serious about that so yeah now if someone comes in and it's obvious they were talking about the case to their children how did judges react to that
0: my judge so my judge's background was she was party to a very horrible divorce and at that time they were still doing child interviews in court she got put on the stand as a little kid she cannot, is she okay
1: with you sharing that? <laughs> she
0: cannot, um, yeah. She well, she'll tell it to everybody. Okay, she, cool, cool. she tells it in court, she tells it all the time. Yeah, um, that's one of her, her things. That's why, because yeah. people will ask, Look, talk to the child. She goes, I will never put a kid on the stand because I would, I had that happen to me, and I will never do it to anybody else. She does not want to see that child even know <laughs> as much as they don't know the divorce is going on as possible. That's what they want.
1: Yeah, they don't want the kids put in the middle. Yeah. is my experience that they are pretty irate if they hear that the parents start putting the kids in the middle of the divorce and talking to them about the details of the custody issues, they'll be very upset.
0: Yeah, alienation, they don't like it all. Uh, they they really don't like when one parent's, uh, especially when one parent's, like one child, divorce is taking a very big toll on the child and they decide because of all the emotions going on that they don't wanna see the other parent. And instead of the parent, the other parent should do what that parent should do and say, look, you gotta go see your mom or dad. Like you have to, you know what, mm-hmm. what I mean? its It's important for you to have that relationship. What they can't stand is when that parent instead goes, okay, that's your choice you don't have to go see mom, they cannot stand that.
1: I'll tell my clients, well, what do you do when your child doesn't want to go to school? Do you just say, okay, that's fine i'm not going to worry about truancy laws you can just skip school because you don't feel like going that's perfectly fine no absolutely not the parents have an obligation they are in charge of the household as long as these are minor children they have their means to get kids to do what they need to do and the same applies for going to the other parents house unfortunately sometimes the kids don't want to go And sometimes it might even be a really bad thing for them to go. There are remedies for that. You can go to court and get some protections because there are absolutely some situations where that child should not be in the other house. I don't want to make that mistake. There are situations I've had those cases where the children should not be in the other person's house, but they're very few and far between and the parent who's withholding that parenting time has a high burden to show why that's happening and if the judge doesn't agree with that parent then that parent has to follow court orders sometimes you don't get the result that you think you should but you don't want to lose all your children because you didn't follow a court order so you really have to try the best you can do the older the child gets the louder their voice can be but you never want to fill kids in and make them think they're in charge of all the details that's my experience that's everything i've heard from judges and that's really consistent consistent with what i've seen um you were talking about how a lawyer can make the judge's job easier how does that work
0: so a lot of times uh, especially in any of their pleadings petitions uh, motions whatever you're you're doing um you got to remember clerks got to write the orders and judges have to review it before it goes out if we have to do the same thing as an attorney does we have to go in look up the law Um, unless you have boilerplate language which you do sometimes there's a bank with all of this stuff that we would be able to write you could copy and paste it make your Mm -hmm. life easier you still have to look into it and make sure it's acceptable we still have the big books you had to look through you had lexus all that stuff you had to go through Mm -hmm. all the data banks and whatnot to be able to get the applicable law so it's just not something like like you said, judges can't just make it up. A lot of people think they're like, oh, they're spouting it off their head. A lot of research goes into it behind the scenes. They gotta do the same as attorneys. If in your um, in your motion or anything like that, you accompany it with like a brief or, um, or you know your motion just has the law in it, when you point to the correct applicable law, it makes our lives so much simpler. We know what we need to do. We're like, this is on point. This is, we have the correct law uh, they cited it correctly. It applies here perfectly to their case. And then the other attorney doesn't have any law. It's mostly just factual. And, um, sometimes doesn't even have a lot of that. It's just, there's no law with it. It's like, well, whose weight when you got an attorney who has a lot of facts in it and the facts are with that applicable law, it's just, it's, you know, you made their life easier. For
1: sure. I always say write the brief so that it makes it as easy as falling off their chair for the judge to write an order your way and then make it like it's almost impossible for them to write an order going against you because the law is lined up so well in your client's favor that they could pretty much cut and paste your brief and be done or they're going to have to go do 20 hours of research and they probably can't even come up with a way to go against your client. That's how I try to do my briefs and Brian has worked with me for a while, so he knows darn well I'll be like, is there law in this? Is there law in the opening paragraph? Nothing, never,
0: there's nothing that doesn't have law in it when I submit it. Uh, the good thing is though, just a tidbit for any attorneys, towards the beginning of a new clerkship round, submitting a brief with your stuff will go a long way. A lot of new law clerks write these orders and they don't know what they're doing at first. It will help a lot. Back in Jersey, when the new clerks came in, you would see a lot of briefs accompanying motions. The lawyers would do that specifically because they know that the law clerks are new and they don't know what they're doing yet. It helps immensely and people love you for it. Um, It's just something you can wind up uh, doing just you know.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to be a lawyer, you could be a pro se or self represented yeah. litigant or party in a case and you can still have a good brief in Colorado you can kind of just submit the motion and the law is always in the motion and a judge is allowed to deny the motion emotions when you ask a judge to do something and they can literally deny it because there's no law cited in support. And in your opening paragraph, you want to have what you want the court to do and the law supporting it. And that came straight from a judge's mouth because I go to a lot of trainings, even though I wasn't a clerk and I talked to a lot of judges. And they want that so that they can glance at it, see that opening paragraph, they know what you're trying to get and how the law supports you. And you can always find some sort of law to support your claim. If you can't, you're in trouble anyway. So it's not as hard as it sounds, but you definitely want to make the job of the judge easy and do a good analysis, and we do unbundled legal services, so that's something where you can just have an attorney do that part. So you can do everything else yourself if you have a motion, but you could have a law firm write a really good legal brief and put your arguments into a way that not only shows that the judge should rule your way but why it's the right thing to do for the children or for equities and you want to win the judge's heart that's what i heard a judge years ago say and that's my experience as you said brian these are good people they want to do the right thing they're definitely overworked so they might seem a little stressed out or mean but they're really just trying to follow the law and look out for your family and you it may not feel like that but they really are i haven't seen a lot of judges falling asleep on the bench. I definitely have seen it, (laughs) but for the most part, they're pretty on their game and they work very, very hard. And that includes magistrates who are a different type of judge. They have limited jurisdiction, but for purposes of anyone going to court, they're the same as a judge. They wear a black robe. They sit behind the bench. They can issue orders. They're a judge too for you. They have a lot of power over your case.
0: Yeah, that's pretty surprising to me, actually. We don't have uh, magistrates. It's just judges.
1: When I was in New York, magistrates had a completely different job. And when I was doing personal injury defense, they would knock heads together. Like, all the lawyers would be lined up outside of the magistrate's office, and then he would just bust your... Heads, so to speak and he'd be like you got to settle this case what's wrong with you why aren't you settling blah 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 and they would just basically try to get as many cases settled as possible and they were very aggressive about it yeah very different from Colorado
0: It's very different depending on the in Jersey it's also very uh, it's probably a little different in other areas of law because um, you know it's somebody's family so they try not to press settlement if they if they don't think it's right but uh, I did landlord tenant for a little bit in there as well. And uh, that judge was just, it was a completely different ball game. It was exactly like that. He was like, what's wrong with you? We could have just settled this and been out. You're gonna spend more in attorney's fees than the rent that you owed. I um, used to
1: do a little landlord tenant when I was at legal services too. And even at the big firm, because sometimes when I was a junior associate, even though it was a large commercial litigation firm, they would give some of those cases to the more junior attorneys. Cause if they were like me, I knew from day one, I want to be a litigator. That means I want to go to court. I love to go to court. I love to do hearings, believe it or not. It's like the way I loved playing soccer. I just like being out there and doing it, but I know it's not the right thing for most of my clients and I strongly urge my clients to settle in their family law cases. What is the position of the courts about settling a family law case?
0: And this bridges across no matter where I've been. Back in Jersey, it was, you know, I my judge said it and then I heard the, almost verbatim the same thing in a hearing here. And uh, my judge used to say, look, I only know these people from what they give me in a three, maybe a eight hour hearing day. And then I make a decision that winds up impacting them for the rest of their lives. Uh, they would like you to settle if this was like big corporate You know like a lot of money flying around there. They would be a lot more like "Nah, They're you know, they're okay if you don't settle you can fight you can knock heads But they don't want that in a family court setting. This is your family you're talking about You know your family better than any judge is gonna know They're not gonna be able to make all the time they're almost never gonna be able to make the decisions that anybody is going that all parties are gonna like Usually if a judge has to decide it, both parties are always going to get a little bit of buyer's remorse and go, man, we should have just did it this way. And um, b- bottom line is when I came here, the first thing the judge said was, I know your family for what, three hours? And then I'm gonna make a decision on what's gonna affect you for a decade or more. So that's why they wanna see settlement. A lot of people have negative thoughts about settlement because they're like, oh, you know, the courts just don't wanna do their job. They just want them to settle so they can get it through. But in reality, settlement's your best bet. You're gonna know what you want for your family the most. So as much as you can get done, as much as you can get settled is better for you guys because um, it's gonna work around your schedule. Once he makes that call and he makes a decision, you know it's very hard to get other things, uh, you know, especially anything in a separation agreement. It's very yeah. hard to get that over he time or without she. It. yeah
1: because <laughs> you had a woman judge too. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah, but yeah, 100% I couldn't agree with you more and I'll never forget one time I was sitting in court. actually, this happened more than once. <laughs> I'm sitting in court and the judge is coming up and I said, he's gonna say, just because I have a black robe doesn't mean I know more about your family than you do and if you can reach an agreement that's what's best for the whole family and so when you settle a case the judge is going to thank you they're going to reward you they're going to compliment you that you were able to accomplish this and if you go to hearing and they think especially if it's an issue that seems a little petty maybe like a haircut not that haircuts aren't important but hair grows back and there are a lot of things that you are gonna have to try to work out sometimes and compromise. But I think they're frustrated that you're taking their time and even though they know you have a right to a hearing and they will do their best and they know sometimes it's not the party's fault that they can't agree on something like a relocation where there's a clear cut um, victory perhaps for one party that gets to have the children go where they want the children to go. Nonetheless, they really are pleased when you settle, they'll compliment you, and when you don't, they might say, just because I'm wearing a black robe doesn't mean that I know your family better than you, or I will make a better decision. And sure enough, the judge said verbatim just what I told them the judge was going to say. It's very common to hear them say that because it's true. And also, you don't have time for details. Like, you're gonna have three issues, that are your main issues for your hearing, it's gonna go so fast and you will be, what happened? That was so fast, what did happened? And I can kind of read a judge's expressions and things and kind of see what they meant and I'm not personally involved, so I can be more objective and explain to my client later what happened, but it's just starting and then it's done and the parties don't even know what hit them. Whereas in mediation, you have more time to go into the details of each issue And really take your time to explain it because in a hearing I've seen the judges say well we're out of time we're done your divorce is not going to be a five-day trial like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and that wasn't even a divorce to begin with they're not gonna have hours and hours and hours to hear about your tax returns and your medical fees for the children it's gonna be in and out one and done very rushed And mediation, you have a little more time even though it's not your favorite. Another thing I want to mention, I've noticed over the years because I've done a lot of divorce cases, the people who settle seem like they continue to reach agreements into their future. You're setting the stage. The people who have to go to a hearing seem like they get used to it. Litigation, believe it or not, can be addictive and people get addicted to rushing to court. The worst thing is you start out with a clear-cut what you consider a victory, and you think court's a magic wand, and you start wanting to run to court about everything, and then sometimes the tables will turn. You can get addicted to running to court all the time. I truly believe that, and that is not good for you or your kids or your pocketbook, because to quote a retired judge, court is expensive, it's time-consuming, and it's stressful, and it's not the best thing to do, and if you can set the stage by settling on something that isn't your first choice but you can live with it, it's setting the stage that you don't have to be running back there all the time.
0: The thing, we talked about how the judge has to follow the law, Yeah. the things that the judge, and I also tell my clients, is the law's more general, it's not specific to you, it's gotta fit everybody when they come in for a divorce, and that's how they're gonna decide it, so, you know, Having a one size fits all, which is kind of the law, you know, they, they got it. And yes, it's equity and they can make it a little more specific, but it's, it's going to be better when you can make it specific to your family and not a one size fits all when you go to trial. Yeah, that's, that's a really
1: good point. That's a good point. So, the next thing that we get to do is our lawyer joke of the day. <laughs> so, what is black and brown and looks good on a lawyer? I don't know. Doberman Pinscher. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. They're always so cruel. That's harsh. <laughs> Nothing against Doberman Pinschers. They're a very beautiful breed. I'm not in favor of breed discrimination. But it's just a joke I heard out there. Okay, so now we have our question of the day for our next pod, which is going to be on financials. Why, Brian, BB, is it so important to have full disclosure in your financials,
0: well, from one side, it's it's important because you need all that information to have correct divvying up of assets between the parties. Now that's coming from me. I want the opposing side's stuff so I know exactly what I'm, what my client's getting. But from your perspective, the reason it like, you know, it's so important that you give it in uh, to them with full disclosure is one, you can get in trouble if during the the time that you're there, uh, you know, during this entire case, you don't give something in. You'd be leveled for attorney's fees, they could call you contempt, the mm-hmm. disclosures, all that stuff. Um, but then Colorado's got the five year rule and you see there's fraud. You could be living your day to day life and all of a sudden now you're being called back to court because they figured out you were lying about something and now it just dishevels this whole thing. And eh, fraud's yeah. a big one. Somebody's hiding something, they figure out you were hiding something, you're gonna be called back to court to redo this, divorce. just do it right the first time, and get it done.
1: Yeah, and it shines a light on it when you try to be so clever and hide it. It usually backfires and blows up in your face so maybe you're oh I'm gonna just hide the 2022 tax return and then pretty soon the whole case is about the 2022 tax return yeah oh where is it why didn't you turn it over and everyone's talking about it it backfired plus please give it to your attorney we're on your side if there's a way that we can use this to your advantage and there usually is Give us the information. The worst thing is to get blindsided by it later because you didn't even give it to us because we're going to help you. We need to know what your information is so we can do the best with it. Yeah. And then judges see thousands of cases. You think you're going to pull a fast one on a judge? Probably not. They see thousands of divorces. They know what you're up to. You probably are not going to trick the judge by hiding things. But, um, yeah, we're going to get into more detail about that on our next podcast. So, Thank you so much for Brian, and he's part of Anderson Law PC along with Jacob Castongue. (laughs) We were talking about pronouncing his name, and um, they're both great attorneys, and I'm honored to work with both of them, so um, come by and get a free consult with us. I'm Beth Anderson-Philson. My law firm is Anderson Law PC, and... You can get all my contact information in the show notes. Same for Brian, and we're happy to talk to you and give you a free consult about how all of this can apply to you. And anything you want to add about um, contacting you, Brian?
0: All right, his best way to contact me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always answer my email, I'm always looking at it. So,
1: very, very good. Yeah, me. Brian at AndersonLawPC.com, Beth at AndersonLawPC.com, Anderson with an E for excellent. And my cell phone, which I give out very freely, is 303-808-4794. And yet again, even though you're divorcing, I mean, families are still families. They take a lot of forms these days. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. When I got divorced and for years, I just felt like a divorce is the worst thing. Like, what a horrible thing to happen to you. And I certainly didn't want to get a divorce. I don't know anyone who went into marriage hoping they would get a divorce, and I always think it's like a car accident. You certainly don't want it, but when it happens, you get over it, you move on, and even though your family is breaking up, you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. So thanks for joining us.